It's all yours. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Let's pray as we get ready. Father, thank you so, so much for your faithfulness to us as your children, as your people. And as we open up your holy word this morning, we pray it would speak to us, open up our minds to understand, open up our eyes to see clearly, and open up our hearts to receive whatever you might have for us today. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is so, so good to be back in Ocala at Christ the King. I can honestly say, I I preached at the early service as well, and to be here with you all at this second service, I really, I, I was not prepared to see so many familiar faces. It's kind of overwhelming, and if I forget, if I've forgotten your name, please understand it's been 20 years. <laughs> and please have grace with me. But it is, it is so great for Dana and for me to be back here. We, we had a wonderful marriage retreat with 20-ish couples. It was wonderful. And um, it, it was, it's great to be back. It's great to be back in Ocala. I think we drove through once since we moved away. And it was really brief. And so yesterday we had a chance to drive around the Roanoke actually look at grace. I worked at grace, so it's great to be at Christ the King, but that's where I work. So that was also really great to see the raising of hands, the number of people. So a lot of you know us and remember us. I, at eight o'clock, I called you folks the old timers. If you've been around long enough, you, you're, you're an old timer because it has been 20 years. I'd love to spend a little bit of time recalling those times and tell you the story about how we ended up coming to Ocala because it's a great story. Spring of 1998, I graduated from Trinity School for Ministry. My wife, Dana, graduated from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. So myself with a Master in Divinity, Dana got a Master's in Counseling. And we had little kids, and so we made the family decision that Dana would put off starting her career in counseling, and we would jump into work as a clergy couple serving in a church somewhere. So I went to my bishop and asked for advice I said, I'm a young man, I was 35 years old, I feel as though it would be great for me to serve in a church under someone who was older and wiser and had experience, what do you think about that? And he said, I agree, it's a great idea, we don't have any jobs here in this diocese, so I give you freedom to go look wherever you want to look, which was a great gift for, for Dana and for me, because we were from Pittsburgh and to get out of there, our family was there, ended up being a great blessing for us. So we thought, East of the Mississippi, wide open, let's start looking. And we, we uh, settled on having interviewed in three places, three different churches, Charleston, South Carolina, Lafayette, Louisiana, and Ocala, Florida. And we went to the church in Charleston. It was a nice church. Beaufort, South Carolina, okay, outside of Charleston. My wife's here. She can correct me when I make mistakes. We just did. We just did a marriage retreat, and so we went to Beaufort, South Carolina. Great church, really nice rector there. He didn't offer us the job. We didn't really feel a sense of call there, and so we left. And our next visit was to a town we'd never really heard of, Ocala, Florida. Now, we knew about Don and Kathy Kern because Don was about five years ahead of me at Trinity School for Ministry. So we, we knew about them. And so we flew down. We landed in the airport in Orlando. And 
Orlando, and those were the days when you could come right to the gate and meet people. And Don and Kathy both came, and we met them at the gate, and my first impression of Don was he had one of those WWJD bracelets on. I thought, okay, that's interesting. He's, he's got a what would Jesus do bracelet on. And so we drove back to Ocala and spent that day interviewing with Sir Stevie, one of the best school people. And Don had just started at Grace. He was three months or so into his job there. So he was brand new. He was looking for an associate. And that evening, we got to see Don actually in leadership because he learned that evening that somebody in Grace School had embezzled a lot of money from the school. And so he had to leave us and go deal with that. But we saw Don in action that whole evening. And so we went through the interview process. The next morning, we were out to breakfast with Don, and we were waiting in line to be seated for um, breakfast and talking, chatting with Don. And he turns to us at one point like only Don Kern can. He said, you know the job's yours if you want it. Okay, we got a job offer. This is good. And Dana and I came away from our time with Don and Kathy and at, at, in Ocala, and we had this really strong sense of call that this was the place that we were supposed to be. Now, the problem was we had one more interview. We were scheduled to go to Lafayette, Louisiana. So we started to think about that. Should we cancel that trip and just say yes to the call in Ocala? And a very wise mutual friend, a guy named John Rogers, who was a prof professor of mine in seminary, I, I ran the idea by him. He said, you go to that final interview. You'll get confirmation from the Lord there. Honor the process. So we did. We went to Lafayette, and it was a really nice church. Um, we liked the rector there. They didn't offer us the job. They said, we need about two more months to look at other candidates, and we'll get back to you. And so we said, okay. And we left, and when we got to the airport, we phoned Don, and we said, we'll take the job. We, we accept. <laughs> so the summer of 1998, in the middle of a heat wave in Florida, we moved our two kids at that time. We drove from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Ocala, Florida. It was hot. I had a car that didn't have air conditioning at that time. I moved the car down. So I was doing pastoral visits with this collar around my neck. It was really hot windows down. We moved our two kids at that time to Ocala, Florida. So our oldest, Wilson, and our daughter, Anna. Wilson's 29 now. Anna's 25. Our son, Charlie, who's 21, was born here in Ocala Regional or Monroe, one of the two hospitals. Charlie was born here. And we began ministry with Don and Kathy Kern. And what a blessing that was for us because they're great people, but they also, they just encouraged us to do anything and everything that we wanted to do in gospel ministry. And they became for us models and mentors to be able to sit under them and learn from them. And Don, especially with me, because we worked so closely together, he said to me early on, you're going to do everything. Be prepared to learn and do everything that a priest does in pastoral ministry. After a short period of time, he said, we're going to switch every week on preaching. So for four years, I had this great gift of being able to work on my craft as a preacher, and uh, what a great gift that was for me to be able to learn how to do that early on. I did pastoral visitations a lot, hospital visits. He said, you're going to do weddings, you're going to do funerals, you're going to do both. I was clueless. I didn't know what I was doing at that time. But Don led me. I figured it out. Nobody died. It was really <laughs> great. 
So it was such a great season in ministry for us, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't without its challenges in ministry and in life. We were here for 9-11. I remember sitting in Don's office, and someone walked in and told us about the attacks in New York and Washington. We were here for the anticlimactic Y2K at the turn of the century. We were here when, that, when the Columbine massacre happened, and having a school at Grace Church made it a challenging time pastorally. We were here when Liam's parents had his automobile accident, and so we, we got this great privilege of walking with Don and Kathy and supporting them as they went through that really challenging time in their lives. So now over 20 years later, Dana and I both, we, we look back on our time here, and we are so thankful for the blessing of our time here in Ogala, Florida, what we experienced and what we learned in this place. And I just want to say thank you to many of you, all of you who raised your hands especially. Thank you for you who had a part in that in our time in this place. And we are indebted to Don and Kathy Kearns because they led us down that journey and the beginning of our gospel ministry as a clergy couple. And they were such a blessing to us at that time in our lives. And I want you all, I want to say this to you, you all are so blessed to sit under the leadership of Don and Kathy Kearns in this church. You are blessed. So what brought us together, this is now 20 plus years ago, what providentially brought us together in ministry was the gospel. It was a common desire that you all had to serve in gospel ministry. And I believe, looking back, that God brought us together for that purpose. And what a blessing it was for us to serve with Don and Kathy and many of you in gospel ministry. And that common denominator is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the person and work of Jesus. And this morning, I want to take some time to look at the gospel. And to do that, I want, to, I want us to dig in a little bit to the epistle lesson. So Hebrews chapter 9, it's in your service sheets if you want to open up your own Bibles. The author of Hebrews in these five verses describes the gospel of Jesus very clearly. And he comes at it from two different angles. So the first angle we'll look at, first half of the reading, the author describes what Jesus did not do. He did not do things the old way. He did not do things the way they've traditionally been done for God's people. And then we'll look at the second angle. The author of Hebrews went on to describe what Jesus did do. Jesus did things a new way. He did things, in fact, a better way. He did things the gospel way. So a little bit about the letter to the Hebrews, just to set the context. This is an epistle. It's a letter. We don't know who wrote it. It might have been Barnabas, a partner of Paul in ministry. It might have been Apollos, who was also very active in the church in the early days of the church. If you were going to sum up the big idea of the author or the letter to the Hebrews, it would be, the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the revealer and mediator of God's grace. Now that's pretty meaty. Jesus is supreme and sufficient to reveal and mediate, to put into action the grace of God. If we were to sum it up in a smaller sentence, it would be Jesus is enough. Or Jesus is all we need. 
And here in chapter 9, we get to a place where the author to the Hebrews is specifically writing about the sacrifice of Jesus, how Jesus sacrificed himself for people, for us. And that's where these two angles come in. So let's take a look at it. The first angle, what Jesus did not do. Hebrews 9, here's verses 24 through the first half of 26. The author wrote, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. So the first thing we see from this angle is that Jesus did not enter a man-made sanctuary. Now, this points to the role of the high priest in Judaism. It points to the sacrificial system. The high priest, a human being, a man, represented the Jewish people. And he was the only person who could access this inner room to the temple, which was a man-made building. And he did this on one time a year on the Day of Atonement. He entered what was called the Holy of Holies. Jesus did not follow this old law. Jesus did not enter this man-made sanctuary, the Jewish traditional way. Second thing we see from this angle, Jesus did not offer himself again and again. Now this again pointed to the high priest and his role. He entered the Holy of Holies annually on the Day of Atonement. He did it on behalf of the people. He did it every year. So this same ritual was repeated again and again. The author's telling us Jesus didn't do it that way, the old way. He didn't offer himself again and again. And then third, we see from this angle, Jesus did not offer blood that was not his own. Again, the role of the high priest. To secure atonement for the people required blood. God commanded that. And the high priest offered blood. But it was the blood of a sacrificed animal. It was not the priest's own blood. It was the blood of another for the forgiveness of sins. Every year, annually, the same ritual repeated over and over. Jesus did not follow this old way. He did not offer blood that was not his own. So the author then goes to a logical conclusion. If Jesus did things the old way, he writes, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. So Jesus didn't do things the old way. He chose a new way, a better way, the gospel way. And that takes us into this second angle. So what did Jesus do? What did he do? Here's verses 26, second half and through 28. But Jesus has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Second angle, here's what we see. First thing. Jesus did appear once for all. Unlike that Jewish system of atonement, that ritual didn't need to be repeated. It happened once. Once for all. 
And God made sure it happened at just the right time. God the Father in his perfect wisdom orchestrated the events to happen right when they did. And it was once for all. Paul, the Apostle Paul, described this perfect timing. This is Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. He wrote, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus appeared once for all at the right time. Here's the second thing we see. Jesus did sacrifice himself. Now the purpose was just the same as the old traditional Jewish way. The purpose was substitution. It was the sacrifice of someone or something else in the place of another, a substitute. But now instead of animals... It was a man. And it wasn't just any man. It was the incarnate Son of God. It was the Messiah. It was the Christ. It was Jesus. The sinless man would die in our place as a substitute. Paul, again, describes this substitution. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Paul wrote, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, be sin for us, a substitute, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And then the third thing from this angle is Jesus did secure atonement by his own blood. Again, the purpose was the same as the Jewish way. It was atonement. The offering of a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. But now instead of an animal, it was a man. Jesus. It was Jesus on the cross. The Apostle John described Jesus' blood atonement in 1 John 1, verse 7. John wrote, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here it is. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus secured atonement by his own Now, all of this now leads to a logical conclusion. The once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus by his blood on the cross brings salvation to all who believe. And that, my brothers and sisters of Christ the King Ocala, that is the gospel. The author of Hebrews describes it in five verses from two angles, what Jesus did not do, Jesus did do. It has been a very interesting experience in my life, Dan, for us to come back to Ocala, Florida. It's caused one of those times in life, and I'm sure all of you can relate to this, where you realize how quickly time passes. You reach a certain age where time just flies by. Dana and I came here as uh, young people. And now we are firmly entrenched in middle age. Don't know how long we'll get to stay here, but. And looking back, years have passed by. They've flown by. Milestones have come and gone. Our kids were young here when we were born here. They've grown up. Dana and I are grandparents. And it 
seems to have happened in the blink of an eye. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years since we departed from this place. But the one constant that's remained is our passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our desire to share that passion with others. And Dana and I have been so blessed to have started as a clergy couple here in Ocala. So blessed to be able to come back today and come back and once again share that passion with you all. So in closing, a couple things I want to leave with you from Hebrews 9 that we've looked at today. First thing is something that you can know for certain, with certainty, is that the gospel is true for you. And I say that you, singular and plural, so plural, it's truth for you as a church, singular, it's true for you as an individual. That logical conclusion is a second angle again. The once for all, sacrifice of Jesus by the blood on the cross brings salvation. That's truth. That's truth for you as a church, as Christ the King. That's why you're the church. It's the foundation of this place where you worship. And it's the foundation of the people who worship place. You are the church. Never, ever lose focus on that. And I'm pretty confident that as long as Don and Kathy Kern are leading you, that's where your focus should stay. Right? Amen? Amen. But this is also truth for you as a person, as an individual. That once for all sacrifice of Jesus by his blood on the cross, that brings you salvation. And so, just some questions to consider. Is that the foundation of your life? Is that truth for you personally in your own life? Do you have the confidence of knowing that once for all sacrifice of Jesus by his blood on the cross brings you salvation? Because I want to tell you today that is truth for you. And then a second thing to leave you with, it's something you can do. It's how you can live this out. You can live out the gospel as a church and in your life. Circle back around to that 1 John 1, 7 verse again. Listen again to what John wrote. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. So here John describes what it means to live out the gospel. He uses this image, this picture of walking in the light of Jesus. Now, that, of course, he doesn't say it, but it implies not walking in the darkness of the world. And that is a tension all of us face as Christian believers, that tension between walking in the light and walking in darkness. Because when you walk in the light, you live into the gospel. And that's true for you as a church, plural, and you as individuals. And so, again, things to think about. What are ways that you all as a church and as individuals can, can walk in the light of Jesus? What are ways that maybe you walk in darkness in the world? How can you change direction in your life and turn to walk in the light? And this is one of those things that I truly believe we can ask God to reveal to us. Pray to the Lord, what are the ways I'm walking in darkness today? Because I want to turn and I want to walk in the light. Ask God to reveal that to you. Listen to him. Be aware of how he speaks into your life. 
and look for ways that you can live into the gospel of Jesus Christ, both as a church and in your own life. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Well, again, it is so wonderful after 20 years to be back with you all here in Ocala and to be with you at Christ the King and to see this place that you all have built. I've heard about it. I've seen pictures. But to be here is really special. It's wonderful to come back and see you all. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you again so much for the ways you have blessed us in our life and context. Let's pray. Thank you so, so much, Lord, for your faithfulness to us in our lives. Thank you for how you providentially bring people together, for being faithful to people, and for for me and my life, for bringing me in our lives. We're so thankful for this place and these people. Pray your continued blessing upon Christ the King Anglican, that you would in every way provide everything they need, protect them from any and all assaults of the enemy, use them for your glory and your praise. Thank you so much for your gospel. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much that you love us. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.